0: Good morning, beloved. Why am I in the shop? I told you I was going to be on the road. Well, I got the dates wrong. I'll be on the road tomorrow. I thought we were going to be on the road for two days, but Mrs. W and Jack headed off early, uh, started the the debate competition, and I looked at my schedule. She put for me on the refrigerator and realized that I will be here. So tomorrow we'll be on the road. So things are going to be going as normal. Woke up to a very chilly morning this morning. The Sweet Loaf and I, I think it was about 21 degrees and no snow on the horizon. I do not know what's going on. If if we got one snowfall this year, that's all that's gonna happen. It is somewhat uh, depressing. We are 25 members away. I checked it this morning, 25 members away from our next custom emoji. So I invite you to be a member if you'd like to support the live stream get access to the unique content. we put something up pretty fun for the members last night, a full walk around of my of mini iteration <laughs> mark 18, which I think is pretty well settled in. So if you like to become a member, you can start enjoying that. One thing that keeps coming up is a question that keeps coming up a lot that I wanted to kind of address um, of people that obviously there's a lot of folks that are getting very frustrated with uh, the current state of things and are wondering, when is someone going to stand up uh, for what's right? When is someone? Get, when are Americans going to start pushing back uh, against um, all of the? Mama, it's not Friday. All of the uh, terrible things uh, that are going on. Well, as I'm so fond of saying, we don't advocate violence here, and that's not my role. That's not our role here. Uh, we are uh, Christian soldiers here. We are fighting against principalities. Uh, we are not fighting against uh, people. But I can kind of maybe give you some insight from. If we want to look at history, what happens and what needs to happen for something like that to take place. Really, in a situation like this, there's, there's three types of people in the country. There are those that are very much anti-establishment, uh, anti-government, that uh, want everything changed yesterday uh, and are willing to go to any length for that to happen. The second group is going to be those that are pro-government. Uh, that are going to support everything that the government stands for and, and go that direction. Now I'm not taking sides here. I'm just laying it out. Uh, typically, how it is, and, and what, would, what what is it, what what has taken place in history in the past. And then the biggest group, the largest group, will be the masses. And the masses don't understand what's going on, nor do they care. Uh, they are busy occupying their lives, and they have no idea what's going on. You may think that you are, that most people are on your side. If you inhabit particular spaces online, you, you you can get it to the bubble where you're getting responses and feedback and you can get the false impression that everyone is on your side, that there's just two, that there's th- them and then there's us. That is not the case. You are in a pretty small minority and unfortunately, the type that are pro-government, they're the ones that are in control right now. And, and they are in greater numbers and have a lot more uh, power than you. So what can you do? What, what do have people done in the past? Well, really what it comes down to is you need to, a, a, a charismatic leader uh, needs to arise. A charismatic leader that can inspire people uh, to do what needs to be done. Mama, you're, you're pressing me. You're pressing me, I'll put you over here. Now, that charismatic leader would not be able to lead from the front, would have to lead in the back, because someone that has that charisma uh, to inspire people uh, to move in a particular direction is very, very valuable. It's one in, one in a million, or maybe more than that, and it needs to pr- be protected. And the charismatic leader needs to support people in a way or encourage people uh, to do what needs to be done. Now, you have one chance at this. Uh, if... If, the, if it's not done properly, and I think the folks that are going to be initially, you know, starting any sort of a revolution in the past like that, would have to understand that they most likely are not going to survive it, that they will probably be put down. But the charismatic leader would promise them that what they're doing is for the greater good and that there would be support um, after. Or what they were to do, what they, the sacrifice that they were to make uh, would inspire um, other people after them if the movement is destroyed if the movement is put down and that that one opportunity is squandered um, then the case is pretty much hopeless those who would maybe be sitting on the fence that would have been part of this are going to see how the rebellion was put down and that's going to take away their motivation and they will not be able to withstand that and now that the pro-government side controls and runs the media, they control the narrative. And so once the rebellion is put down, and they will put it down, and they will make an example of whoever it is that opposes their will. Since they control the media, the narrative will be out to the unconvinced or the unknowing masses that this was an attack on democracy and everything is lost. So if you're wondering (laughs) what it takes in situations in in, in the past, uh, that's basically it. You get one chance at it, and if that's squandered, uh, then um, you probably won't get a second chance, and then everything will just be picked apart and disbanded, and um, then we march into tyranny. That's the sad truth, gentlemen. All right, let's jump into it. Jump into it. We have A super chat. Sorry. <laughs> we have a super chat from Zachary C. Shout out to you, Zachary, and welcome. And ja- Zachary C. writes, a dead fish can swim with the current. Uh, that's a, that's a, uh, what was that? Um, who was, who, who's that quote from? W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields. I think it's a dead fish can float, will float, but still goes with the current. Yeah, that's true. It <laughs> Kind of appropriate to what we're talking about here. Yeah, but thank you. Shout out to you. And Dr. Pepper has a question here. Oh, before we get started with Dr. Pepper, we have to light the lantern. Now, I told you guys I was complaining that I was having waking up with stuffed up nose and like having a sinus infection. I think it was Dr. Pepper that pointed out the fact that, well, you're probably poisoning yourself with that filthy gas lantern that you're sitting there breathing for two and a half hours a day, all the fumes coming off of it from that fuel. And I thought. You know what <laughs> I, think he, I think he might be on to something because the symptoms did seem to start about the same time as the lighting of the lantern so we will continue to light the lantern but we'll put it back over there uh, and come up with a cleaner fuel supply I think in the future all right let's get this over with I it is our custom it is our custom some folks were asking about the fasting, if there had been anyone that would st- had started early, and of course, you are welcome to do that. If you are just joining us, we decided corporately yesterday uh, that we are going to do, Pro Ho is going to do a 30-day fast, not 30 days in a row, but next Wednesday, next Wednesday, and... A lot of us are going to be doing 24 hours. Some of you are going to be doing 12 hours. You do what you can. If you can only miss one meal, then miss one meal. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you can do the 24, if your doctor will sign off on that, then you can join us. Uh, and we're going to do that every Wednesday for a month. So that would be four Wednesdays that we're going to be doing that. Now, there are benefits to, to, to the health. It's good for your body to put it under a little bit of stress from time to time to go into that fight or flight mode, similar to our cold showers. And also there's a very important spiritual con- er, spiritual portion of that. And we are commanded uh, by our Lord to do so. Uh, to set aside time for fasting and praying. Why? Why, why? why should you do that? Why does there have to be a sacrifice? 30 pumps. Well, there doesn't have to be a sacrifice. It's not compulsory, but it's a suggestion. And when God suggests something, I think we're we probably ought to adhere to it, right? What I've noticed, personally, is it helps you to focus on what it is that, that you're praying for. And, and what we're going for, you know, what we're, we're, we're asking our Father for is insights. Insights uh, to the scriptures, uh, to open the scriptures to us, and to help us um, navigate the difficult, the difficult world that we're all coming into. We pretty well got this lighting of the lantern thing down here. We're not having too many problems. Come on now. Goals oh, startled me a little bit there. It almost got me. We'll hang the old lantern up on Granddad's la- or, uh, antlers. Get some of those fumes out of here. Yeah, it's funny. You know, I've made a realization yesterday. I was I was reluctant to even bring this up because. People are going to say that I'm insane, and I looked into it a little bit and found out that I'm not the only one spe- experiencing a very interesting phenomenon that I had mistaken for something that I think it was not, and I should have put it together, and I didn't put it together until last night. All right, we're going to we're going to be burning here, and that is I've been talking about my increased my heightened sense of smell, right? Okay. Well, I found out I'm not the only one it's experiencing this. And it's not I think I'm I'm beginning to believe it's not what I thought it was. So I've been doing now it's been what 5 weeks or so participate or going along with the Wim Hof program which is the cold showers you know i'm i know i hate to be keep repeating this all the time beloved but there's a lot of new folks that are joining us here three minute cold shower in the morning and the wim hof breathing process or method which has been remarkable uh, in effect in giving me more clarity of thought heightened my senses uh, my energy level ability to concentrate is off the hook right i noticed that i could really smell and taste food better after a couple of weeks um i've been enjoying food that i have not enjoyed for a long time like having something exciting for the first time again but with that's also increased my sense of smell it's it's become very significant now i've always been very sensitive um, w- with my senses you know some people ha- have uh, are more sensitive than others you know th- we call them canaries in the coal mine. That if there can be if there's something in the environment that is toxic or affecting pe- people in a negative way, there's always a small select group of people that can that are aware of that that are more affected than others. And if you're wondering where the term canary in a coal mine came from, this was a process that was used by miners uh, way back in the day. There are um, toxic gases that are released in deep mines, hard rock mining. There is uh, the problem with getting proper ventilation. And as we know, you know people like a people, some people that will, will park a car or there's been families that have passed away from having a generator that's running in the garage, even with the door open, because the intake is in the garage and it floods the house with carbon monoxide, which just lulls you to sleep. You don't even know what's taking place. It just, it just deprives your oxygen and it's very, very dangerous. So miners would be down in there and they would just fall asleep and die. You know, there was no early warning process. So what some brilliant miner came up with was to take a canary down there. A canary is very sensitive, very delicate, and would immediately be affected when oxygen levels dropped. And they would go down there, the lift with that canary in the cage, a literal canary, and they would watch it. And it was there with them as they worked. And if at any moment that canary keeled over, was on the bottom of the cage, they knew to get out. They knew that there was a problem. So there are people like that as well. There are people that are more sensitive than others. And I've always thought I've kind of fallen into that camp. I don't know why. It just is. So I started complaining. I really started noticing it well, when I came back from halfway to about three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago or so. And I brought this up to you guys. I'd stopped at uh, Baker City at a truck stop and two men walked by me and sat about 10 feet away in a booth uh, behind me. And the smell uh, it's a, it was a sweet smell, uh, was so overpowering to me, uh, that I almost had to move. And had I, as I said, had I not, my food just been set down, I started, and I had a cup of coffee and all these things, I would have moved because it was so, it was so, it was so unpleasant. And I attributed this to a laundry detergent smell, I thought, well, it, you know, I I don't like laundry detergents. I've always been really sensitive to that. Mrs. W can't have anything like that. We have to have natural cleaners and such. It's always been always the way. Always the way I've been. And it, I didn't know what the smell was, but I could, te- but I thought I just attributed it to laundry detergent. Well, I have noticed it every time. I only notice it when I'm around and I go around other people. This the second time I really, really noticed it was uh, at, a, we were, it was a kid's venue that was close by here. And there were a bunch of, there were a whole bunch of people really, really tightly packed into a small place. And it was overwhelming to me. And it was the exact same smell that I had experienced exactly as the, um, what what I experienced at Baker City. Uh, kind of a sweet, a, not a soapy smell, but a, just kind of a sweet, acrid unpleasant, really unpleasant smell, like a chemical smell, something that's not natural, not even not like a rotting carcass or a stinky animal, or anything. just something that is very sweet and, and synthetic. And it was overpowering in there. And I thought, wow, that is incredible. All uh, how much how I can smell this laundry detergent. And it's I thought it was quite interesting that it's the exact same la- How could all these people be using the same laundry detergent? And then I passed it off as well, it must be just, um, you know, people shop at Costco, you know, and, you know, they probably buy in the, Kirk, you know, the name brand or Kirkland brand or whatever. And I, I just didn't think too much about it. But I, I was so bad uh, that I had to, to get out. I had to get out, kept going out for fresh air. It was just so overcoming because there were so many people cramped or packed in there. Well, I get... I get it uh, also from time to time. You know, when I'm around people, I smell it again. And then it happened again the other night when we were at another venue where there was a bunch of people in bleachers. And as soon as I went in the room and sat down, it's that same thing again. And there were probably 150 people in this venue uh, and the same thing. Exactly. That sweet, chemically acrid smell. And I couldn't believe it. I'm like, how could I get the same soap detergent? Because what else could it be? It's not body odor. It's not, um, doesn't smell like deodorant. It doesn't smell like perfume, but it's exactly the same every time I smell it. And it's, it's just, it's it's horrible, just horrible, Uh, just overpowering. I think I know what it is. I think it's vaccinated people. (laughs) I know that sounds crazy, but I got, this was, I got, I, Someone else had mentioned this, and we got to talking about it, and I looked into it last night, and I'm not the only one that's experiencing this. (laughs) It's like, you know, that just, what I, just the concept of that was very interesting. And my question to you is, is have you experienced this? Have you, or do you know anyone that has, is able to smell this on people? That this is something that is, that I, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I do not believe it's soap. I do not believe it's natural. I do believe it is definitely a chemical smell. um, And that's what I believe it is. I'm convinced that that's what it is. Um, And I'm very curious if anyone else. Yeah, I know it sounds crazy, uh, but I don't think, I I think you're wrong, Mitch. I think you're wrong. Just because you don't have that sensitivity and that you're not experiencing it, I mean, I tell you, I'm not making this up. This is something that is, if I go in a crowd of people, it is absolutely over. Powering and it's consistent across the board. Boy, you thought the gr- if they thought the grounding was crazy, wait till they get a hold of this. I don't know. I could be wrong, but it does it does make sense. It does make sense to me. Man, that that's if that's the case, it's gonna make you make you sec- second guess who your you're gonna make you kind of second guess who your house guests are, isn't it? We have a super chat from Mister Doctor Pepper. Shout out to you, Dr. Pepper, who says thoughts on the role of thoughts on the role of a father in a son's life. As a man that had no such figure growing up or mother, I worry about whether or not I'm the best man and father I can be in the world uh, of boys raised by troubled women. That's a very insightful and good question. Now I had I had I, I'll just tell you what my personal experience is. I had never really considered this right here, but I just tell you what I liked to what I didn't like with my father's parenting style um, in contrast with my granddad's parenting style. My granddad wasn't my father obviously, but when I was growing up from the time of like 5 you know up until probably around 13, 14 or so, I spent the majority of my time with my grandfather because my mom wanted me to go go to school to a different school that was in our district. So I ended up staying at our grandparents' house. And so I, I spent a lot more time around my grandfather and I had a lot more, I, I just enjoyed being around him more. We, we, were, more, we were more similar. And uh, the the two parenting styles were very, very different. The thing that, I'll start with the negative. What I would not do and the negative things was, um, dad, when, when you're, as a father, that you uh, are critical. Uh, critical is very, very bad. And I know you have to fight that temptation. You can be working with your 13-year-old son. And let's say you're gonna be building a, you know, whatever, you're gonna be building a little a shed outside. 12 by 12 shed, right? You're gonna do framing and all, all that stuff. The, you gotta let them fail and you gotta be patient with them. Um, I despised working with my dad because he wasn't patient. He would get frustrated with me because I didn't know how to read a tape measure, but he'd never really shown me how to read a tape measure. He just assumed that I should know how to, and then he would, I would cut them wrong or I would take too long. And it's a confusing, you know, we don't have the metric system, you know, the, the numbers broken down by tens, you know, they're by sixteenths. So and it's confusing if you don't know how to do it. And I just, that I remember that. And I just, I could not stand working with my dad because he, because his lack of patience, that was a problem. Contrasted with my grandfather. Where he never, ever lost his patience, and he didn't care about any of that. You know, he used to say his motto was, don't sweat the small stuff. And he was kind, and he was patient. If a mistake was made, um, it was never an issue, uh, n- never got upset about it, and everything working with him was a joy. I wanted to do it. Whatever he was doing, whatever he was o- outside building or cleaning up or, I- or going to the store, I wanted to go with him. I wanted to be with him all the time. And it was very different, you know, he put an emphasis more on time spent. And if it gets done, it gets done. Uh, if it doesn't, it just doesn't, not, really matters too much, you know? Don't, don't sweat the small stuff. He was a simple man. Um, he didn't have ambitions to have anything more than what God had given him. He was content with a small house and he was content being a mechanic and he enjoyed life. He was calm, uh, relaxed and, and cool. And it was very, very wonderful to be around him as a child because I felt safe and I, I learned a lot of things and I just wanted to be just like him. He didn't have to tell me um, or, or not to do something or scold me about anything. I just mimicked his character because his character and his spirit was so beautiful. Whereas my dad was not that way. You know, he was, and I, I'm not casting shade, Um you know, my dad had a lot of pressures too. You know, he was trying to build a house and get things established and working multiple jobs. And, and you know, it was hard work. And, you know, he was, had a lot of physical pain in doing so. And that helped, that, that worked against his patients. You know, my dad was a good man, but it was not, it was not a positive experience being raised that way. So I guess what I would, the advice I would give you, Dr. Pepper is, you can see which one was better. Um, Don't sweat the small stuff. The the project just isn't that important. Something that you think is so important that your time is money and we got to get this done and the sun, we're burning daylight and all of that. I think that that's, I mean, there's a time for that. But if you find yourself in that situation where time is money and you've got to get stuff done because of an emergency or a deadline, I think maybe it best not to involve your kids with that. It'd be best off just for you to go there and do it yourself or other men that you can work with. Make sure that those first projects and the things that you do decide to do with your children just have the right m- mindset. This is not about production. This is about spending time together, listening to my kids, listening to them talk. And that, that that's what I would recommend. And in after I became a man and had my own family, one of the most aggravating things <clears throat> that um, almost became a meme in our family was my dad would say, well, he, you, he'd come here and, Hey dad, I built this new deck, or hey dad, I got this new truck, or you know how you like to share things with your father, with your parents, you know, your achievements, or you get excited about things. Yes, they're usually the first person I'd call. You know, and there was a lot of times he would say, you know what you should have done was thus and so. What you should have done, what you should have done, what you should have done. I resented that and still resent that to, to this day. Yes, I get that. He he was usually right. Um, most all the time he was right. Um, but just because he was right, doesn't mean that he should have said it, and it didn't didn't have the effect I think that he wanted. It just made me want want to share less with him. Just made me want to um, not be have him involved because I didn't want to deal with that. I didn't want to have what you should have done. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Thank you. <laughs> what you should have done. And, and to his credit, you know, he in his last you know few years, he he. Didn't do that near near as much, um, and I think it was probably because I told him I you know I didn't like it. So you got to let them fail, you got to let them do their things, and I have learned from that. You know I've been going through that 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 scenario. I'm going through it right now, uh, Doctor Pepper. To be honest with you, where I, you know, Jack is dating right now. Uh, he has a he's dating a, a very nice young girl. Uh, with a nice family, and you know he's doing his own thing, and you know he, he wants to be independent, and he is becoming his independent. He would just turned 18 and such, and I watch him do things that I've shown him the right way, and sometimes he does them right, and sometimes he doesn't do it right. And my instinct is to follow in the footsteps of my dad. You know those generational curses, those things that our parents did to us, we tend to repeat them. You know the, you know, the people of the book have a name for that. It's a generational curse the things that your parents do your mother does can tend to be passed down from into daughter into son and such and especially the negative things and so mrs w and i have been helped each other support each other with this it's that you know keep your mouth shut if you don't agree with something if it's a life or death thing if if it's a safety thing yeah that's important you need to warn them but if we're just talking about relationships and personal opinions or tastes of things, no, I, we're, we're done. You know, we, we've, we've, we, we've poured the knowledge into, you know, pretty much his character is set. We, we've poured the knowledge in, into the child, into the young man, and now he needs to make his own way. And we need to step back as hard as that may be and be respectful of his opinions um, and his takes and his likes and his passions. And so we just, we keep our mouths shut and we have taken the the position of if it's not a safety issue if it's not a a complete moral breakdown of character you know we'll address those things but if it's just the small stuff then we just listen just listen and don't offer your opinion unless you're asked and then if you if he's he asks you he wants to come down and talk about it then give your opinion but be think about it say it once give it clear a clear concise um, opinion um, that's not judgmental. Seeing both sides, you know, Mrs. W and I play good cop, bad cop. You know, she's very much the devil's advocate. You know, she's always looks at the good side of everything, looks at both sides because of her training. You know, she's trained in her vocation to look at both sides, where I am only look at one side, my side, right? <laughs> so, so she's very good. She's a good help with me. So, it's important for us to be united on that and just to listen, listen to your kids and let them talk. And when they want advice, they'll ask you, and then they'll be willing to listen. Um, but don't offer unsolicited advice, especially when they get older. Um, it's just counterproductive. They'll, they'll probably just rebel against you. That's a good question. Oh, the old, the old wood stove's getting hot. A lot of folks have been asked of what wood stove this is. This is a made bar by, by Hearthstone. It's the Green Mountain 80. This is the one of the biggest wood stoves I could find, and I think it's the biggest one that they make uh, big enough to heat a 5,000 square foot house or shop. So that's the Green Mountain 80. Apart from not having a side load, uh, it's been a really good stove. We have a super chat from Back Creek Homestead and one year member. Welcome Back Creek. He says, thank you for the content. Here's a coffee for you. Mrs. W. It was, it was, um, it was uh, last Friday. Speaking of coffee. You have to adore, you have to adore the, the um, how do I put it, uh, the, the conservative common sense um, nature of a Midwestern woman. Midwestern women are not extravagant. Midwestern women are all about um, repairing something with a tear in it or making do. Uh, and she's never been about going and she hates spending money. She won't spend money on herself. I force her. I make her go buy new dresses. She wouldn't do it. She would just put a patch on something. She would just get by. It would be good enough. You know, just that good practical Midwest women. That's why I tell you, beloved, the Midwest women make the best girlfriends and wives, without a doubt. Stay away from those crazy women on the coasts. They'll, they'll do nothing but give you trouble. So we were, uh, it, was, it was last Friday, and we were, uh, had just woken up and we're just kind of talking. And, and she said, I have a, I have a crazy idea. Like it really played it up like this was something completely outrageous. And I'm thinking, oh, it's unlike her. You know, she's she's not a risk taker like that. I'm thinking, what does she want to do? Does she want to sell the house and go live on a house or go live on a sailboat for a year. Or does she want to go uh, live in Sweden for a year. Or, you know, I was expecting some amazing thing. Right. That we were going to we were she was about to propose a radical change in our life. And I was getting excited. Like, well, what has she got in store? <laughs> You want, want to know what it was? She said, what would you say if we got a coffee maker that had a timer? <laughs> I looked at her and I said, a coffee maker with a timer? That what do, you, what do you mean? It's like, well, what if we got a coffee maker with a timer, we did the coffee at night, and it was on a timer, and we would wake up at a certain time, and we'd have the coffee already made for us. (laughs) Why is this funny, right? You're like, well, yeah, this is what we do, right? This is what normal people do. Well, we don't do that and haven't done that. I I, I remember we make the coffee the same way That we did the first time I went to her house when we first started dating and I'd never seen it before and I was seeing all sorts of new things when I first started dating Mrs. W because she came from an international family, a family that traveled. Her mother is Swedish. Her mother's sisters and brothers and family all live in Stockholm, live in Sweden. And she came over in the like the 60s as an au pair and met my father-in-law who was in the service and got married and and so she's mrs w's quarter swedish and a fluent speaker so having an international family they traveled extensively growing up it was common for them you know she lived and worked in sweden taught in sweden and and has basically been in pretty much every country in the world has traveled all over the place is very well traveled where i never traveled anywhere outside of, you know, Oregon and a few states, California. So I didn't know anything about this. So I was experiencing all sorts of things that I didn't even know existed. And one of them was how she made coffee. So she made coffee with a pour over filter. I'm sure this is just riveting to you guys, a pour over filter, which is just a little plastic thing that sits on top of your cup. You put a paper filter in there, you grind the beans put them in there, and then pour hot water over it. And it's it's delicious coffee. But it's a process, you know, it's arduous. And she, she usually gets up and does it. Gets up in the morning and, and uh, has the coffee. And I come out and she's got it sitting there. And she proposed this radical idea of having coffee on a timer. So I said, I think that's a great idea, baby. So I ordered the coffee maker, found who, who makes the best one that has the... See, the problem with coffee, see, the reason why your coffee, and I'm talking to you, East Coast man, the reason why your coffee is garbage is because not necessarily the beans, because some of you even splurge and, and buy some fancy beans and even a coffee grinder against your better nature. But you wonder why it doesn't taste very good. It doesn't taste very good because it needs to be poured over the coffee at a particular temperature. And if you're using Mr. Coffee or the majority of the normal coffee makers that, you, you, that you've had forever, they don't heat the water up hot enough. And that's why your coffee doesn't taste proper, doesn't taste right. So I know this, you know, I'm from Oregon. I, I, coffee is akin to religion out here that we take it very, very seriously. We don't, uh, we don't drink no East Coast acid coffee. So I was skeptical about this because, you know, we're really particular about these things. Uh, where am I going to find a coffee maker that has, that do, does this? Well, I found one. I found one. Uh, and I did a bunch of looking around on it and all of the really snobby Oregon coffee people said, yep, if you're going to have an automatic coffee maker, this is the one and it's made in the Netherlands and it's very good. And it brings the temperature to the proper temperature, like between 191 and 212 degrees, you know, right in there is where it's got to be. So I ordered it, unfortunately it doesn't have a timer on it. So I thought, hmm. Oh, how's this going to work? That kind of defeats the purpose. She wants the timer on. She wants to be able to have it wake up to the coffee. How am I going to do this? So I went on Amazon and I bought a timer, like a garden timer or a, a outlet timer. Set the timer for the time, plug it in. So I tested it out last night, but Mrs. W's not here, right? So I had it this morning and it was wonderful <laughs> to wake up to hot brewed, properly brewed, fresh coffee, uh, that I didn't have to go and grind the beans and, and go through that whole process. That I was able just to come out, put my Pendleton wool, my merino wool robe on that she got me, come out there to a hot cup of coffee. It was amazing. So I have to shout out to Mrs. W for coming up with that. It took us 20, almost 20 years to figure that out. You see, I told you guys that I learned my lessons slow, and, and I do. What were we talking about? Oh, Back Creek Homestead, shout out to you. How's that? <laughs> You got got your money's worth on that answer, didn't you? But if you're looking for a good coffee maker, the Dutch, yeah, the Dutch do know how to do coffee, but Dutch Brothers does not. Dutch Brothers coffee is acrid putrid swill. Bilge. Bilge water. We have a super chat from Trent gonzalez shout out to you trent and trent writes writes i thought and prayed about this and i feel like i could it could be that i feel like i could be that charismatic leader i feel like god has put that on my heart to create a movement well could be who am i to say um just be careful and don't get the jesus complex you know there's a there's a there's a phenomenon that takes place of pilgrims christian pilgrims that go to the holy land this is a this is something that's happened for a long time and folks go over there and are so overcome by the Bible coming to life. You know, they've read all the stories about the tomb and they've read all the stories about Golgotha and the Mount of Olives and all those things. And and it seems so real to them and they, they get, they, it make, it goes to their head and they start to, be, start to think that they're the Messiah reincarnated. It's a very strange thing. I think it's pretty rare, but it does happen. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm of the opinion, believe nothing of what you hear. Half of what you see, and that's kind of where you start. So, if that's you, Trent, then uh, you need to build your uh, <laughs> build your renown. Uh, so, if you don't have it already, uh, your work's cut out for you. We have a super chat from All SK. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity. And from the live chat, fifty-two Joker as a comment. Fifty-two Joker says, "Hey there, Mrs. Wrang- Mister Ranglistar. Odds are you won't see this, but I'd just like to thank you. Your, you are ashamed. Your, you are ashamed. Video is where I found Christ. Thank you, man. I don't even remember what video that was. Yeah, I, man, I, I appreciate you saying that and sharing that with me. I, I sent a med- message over. I received an email this morning, and I'm not going to share it. It was, it was done in privacy, but it was from a, it was from an atheist. And I've been receiving a lot of these, multiples every day. It was from an atheist that um, told me his story, and that when he first started, he enjoyed watching the Axe videos and stuff, and then the moment he started, heard me start talking about religion, start mentioning God in it, he said it just made him unreasonably angry or something to that effect, um, irrationally angry, and he discounted it all. Well, he enjoyed the content and kept coming back and kept coming back, and a long story short, he decided to investigate for himself. Instead of just following what he was told in school from his parents, and like well, you know, this guy obviously believes what he's talking about. It seems like craziness to me, but I'll look in, I'll look in there and find out. And in the, the conclusion of the letter was essentially that he's found his way um, to having a relationship with with his back with his father, reconnected, a prodigal son returned. I can't tell you uh, the impact that had on me, and these letters have been having on me, and I, that particular one was special to me and I shared that with a middleman and just with a note that gentlemen I want you to see this this is what we're doing here is a, is is having an effect on people this this is a this is a good thing that we're doing here just to encourage everyone when you get tired and you don't want to do your live stream or you guys don't want to come and give their time to moderate you know I I get that it's especially as it goes on you know it can, can become a grind but this is an important work that we're doing. We're not doing this to lift me up. We're not doing this to build my renown. We're doing this um, because God's told us to do it. And he's provided a lot of folks, there's a lot of folks he, he, here, a lot of you guys here that are also responding to this. So I appreciate that. That is encouraging to me and it offsets a lot of the negativity that I have to, the arrows that I have to, to endure. We have a new member, David G. Welcome David, glad to see you here. Well, it puts us about 24 members, about 24 members, new members, and we'll unlock the newest emoji. So I would start getting some ideas circulating on what you guys would like to see. The member emojis, you can see them down there are Loctite and Wim Hof and the Benchmate. All those things are are chosen by you guys. So start thinking about that, what you'd like to see. Thank you, David. Welcome. Mr. Ted Smith and one-year member. Welcome, Ted. That was very generous of you. Ted says, tips on excavation. Now, here's something I can talk to in length. Um, I have to dig a 300-foot trench to run electric to our new shop. Never really have run a mini excavator before, but I'm familiar with heavy equipment. You won't have any problem whatsoever. Um, So electrical is the best place to start if you're you're just learning, because it doesn't have to be perfectly flat, and it doesn't have to have uh, a grade you know, or or it doesn't have to have full grade, like a sewer pipe. You can cause yourself a lot of expense and trouble if you put a new operator that's digging uh, a sewer lateral or a sewer mainline because they have to be in a particular grade, eighth inch per inch, quarter inch per inch, you know, whatever that may be. And if you are up and down, up and down, you have to fill with gravel and it, it can be very expensive, but an electrical conduit, no big deal. Out here, they have to be three foot deep. So if you're working by yourself, um, if you have someone to help you, I would highly recommend, it'll save you a lot of aggravation and you get better work to rent or buy a laser. Now, they used to be big money. You know, it was a huge investment when I was starting. I remember the first one I bought and it was blood money to get the thing. And I had to have it because I was doing a lot of stuff on grade. But a laser they're inexpensive now. You don't, you don't have to get, you can just go get Proho version, you know, just get something. Even Ryobi would make one in a pinch. Maybe Harbor Freight's got one. I don't know. Just look around. It, it casts a beam, a 360 degree beam that is picked up with a receiver. And that receiver will beep, you know, high beeps, beep, 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 beep. If you're high, low beeps, beep, beep, beep. If you're low and then a tone, a solid tone when you're on grade. Mama. It's not friday you come you come over to, you no, you won't be coming over tomorrow because you won't be with us so 300 feet is worth probably buying one um if you're working by yourself uh and you don't have anyone to help you then i wouldn't mess with a laser what what i what i typically do is 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 you you take take your bucket dig you start digging your trench right you'll you'll figure it out it's going to be very very clunky at first but within an hour, you'll have it. And within half a day, you won't even be thinking about it. It'll just be automatic. When you're digging your trench, separate your sod. Don't mix your sod in with your dirt because you're gonna have to backfill it, right? If you can take a little time and scrape the sod off and put it on the right side, flop it over there and kind of save it, and then dig your dirt. And then put that over on the left. Don't let the dirt, don't put the dirt right next to the, to the edge of the trench, because it'll slough in there and slough in there. And you'll need to walk back and forth across there when you're doing your conduits. And when you walk across there, then you'll knock rocks in there and you'll knock dirt in there and give yourselves all sorts of problems. So leave yourself about a 12, 16 inches, a little walkway right there where you can lay the pipe. So cast your dirt off to the side there and your sod off to the, this side, right? Mixing your sod back in with your dirt just makes a mess. It, it, it um, decomposes and uh, you'll never get all the dirt back in the hole and you have a big mound there. It's better off just to keep the sod separate. Haul it off, go put it in a pile somewhere, let it deteriorate over the years, but just don't mix it back in with your trench and deal with it if you have that. Once you get the depth, you know, And for us it's three feet for conduits. Once you get the depth, have a, some marker paint, upside down paint we call it. Upside-down paint is spray paint can that, that works upside-down. It's what excavators and surveyors use for marking on the ground. What I would do is I would do yourself a favor if you want to dig a nice straight line. So you're 300 feet, put a stake, put a stake, run a string line, pull them tight, put the string line right on the ground, and then walk along with that string line with that upside-down paint and paint a line like dashes, just like you'd have a divider, yellow lines in a, in a road. That's going to help you with your sets. When you're moving your excavator, you'll be able to look back and you'll be able to keep your tracks right between that. And you'll look like you know what you're doing. You'll have a nice straight run uh, and you won't look like it was done like by an East Coast man. So I would do that and then cast your soil to the side. And then one other little trick that will help you if you're working by yourself without a laser, once you get your depth, you can do your first set and you get it down to three foot or whatever it is, sit your bucket down flat, consistent with a boom down. So it's straight up and down like this. And then go on the side, and if it's a rental, don't do this, but you can just put a piece of tape, or you can even just paint, just paint a little mark right on it, so you can check from the cab. So, because you you won't know how to do this. This develops with, with practice. You know, you don't need to do this when you're experienced, but as you're digging along, and you're sitting up there, and you're wondering, am I deep enough? Am I too deep? Well, it's just a quick way to check it. You already marked it. You just, you pull your set, and then you take your bucket, put it down flat, just like you measured it, put it in the bottom of the trench, eyeball it, and you can see, oh, I need to go down six inches. Or, oh, I went six inches too deep. I need to start coming up a little bit. Might even just flake a little dirt in there. But you can do it. It's not a problem. We have a super chat from Lamar P. Welcome, Lamar. It's very generous of you. Lamar P says, your grandfather sounds like a great man. Uh, Love the Oklahoma stories. Yeah, he was a great man. Did I ever tell you guys about... Um, granddad in the diamond mind. (laughs) It's worth telling. I'll I'll tell you a different one. So granddad uh, was raised on a self-sufficient homestead in Oklahoma that our family acquired from the Oklahoma land rush. And he lived there with his whole family. He had uh, two brothers and a sister, and uh, they worked the fields. They, They farmed. They farmed for a living. Well, granddad had two two side jobs on top of that. Not only did, did he do all the day-to-day work on the farm and the homestead, and they had animals and everything, pretty much self-sufficient, but he uh, ran a trap line. He ran a trap line for uh, skunk. I don't, I remember skunk. I don't remember what, uh, what type of animals he, he trapped, but for pelts. Uh, so he did that. And he also delivered mail in a Harley-Davidson with a side card on it. This would have been like probably 1930. Sometimes in the mid-30s, he had a Harley-Davidson with a side card on it. He didn't deliver mail to mailboxes. He delivered the, the bulk mail and the bags to, to the next town uh, from a depot of some sort. And so he would do that in the morning, and it was, I think he said it was 60 miles, almost an hour that he delivered. He'd pick it up with a Harley-Davidson, year-round, winter, summer, and he would deliver this. We almost got killed. I wouldn't be here talking to you today if it wasn't any different. But he was, uh, he said he came up over a rise on that Harley Davidson and there was a horse standing in the middle of the road sleeping, apparently getting heat off of the road. And it was foggy and he didn't see it and he hit this horse at, he said, probably 60, 70 miles an hour with that Harley Davidson. Crashed, went off into the brush, knocked himself out, came to, he didn't really know how long later, uh, came to and miraculously got the bike started and rode it the rest of the way with the mail and everything. And I think it killed the horse uh, and got to the mail station and collapsed uh, and passed out and, and was in pretty bad shape <laughs> for all, all of that. But I never forget that, telling me about hitting a horse and how lucky he was to survive that. Well, another thing is kind of interesting I'll, I'll share with you. So my family had, I think if, if memory serves, we had the first Ford dealership in oklahoma and it wasn't don't think of like a big fancy dealership like we have today how it was done back in the day what he told me was if you wanted to have a dealership um you would get in touch with ford and they would decide you'd have one or not and then when you were ready to get your cars you had to go get them you had to go get them at the factory in detroit and bring them back to wherever your dealership was and mark them up and sell them that's the way it was done so granddad said that they would go in one day, uh, or one once a year. And they would uh, take a train, and his brothers, anyone they could get to go. You know, and I don't think they bought a ton of them. I think maybe you know five or six cars, Model Ts uh, is probably what they were buying at that at that time. Maybe, mo- yeah, it must have been Model Ts. Maybe Model A's because 1934 would have been Model A Ford. It was probably Model A's. And so they would, uh, the, the downside he said was that it was cash on the barrel. There was no credit or anything like that. So all of the money that you had to purchase the cars for your dealership, you had to have on hand and take it up there and pay for them, buy them outright. And you had to drive them back. There were no car carriers or anything like that. So they would go the whole family. Well, he said it was, I think it was his dad had the money. Um, and this was all the money for the whole family. Everything depended upon this. It was everything that they had. You know, it was, it was, you just could not, we couldn't lose it. His dad kept the money in his uh, hat. Now the old hats, cowboy hats and stuff, they have a kind of an inner band. And when we used to wear cowboy hats and stuff, my dad would sometimes buy them too big for us. My granddad, same way. They would take newspaper and fold it over in like a belt Real, real skinny the thickness and line the inside of that that liner inside the hat to build it out a little bit so it would um, it fit you and you could buy a hat that was two three sizes too big for you and for kids that was commonly done then you could grow into them and as your head grew or your hair you would take out the newspaper thinner and thinner and then ultimately finally it would fit you so what uh great granddad earl what he did was he kept the money the cash for those cars in his hatband, He figured that would be more secure. He was concerned about pickpocket. You know, they were con- simple com- country people going into the mean, si- the mean Detroit city, you know, and they were not sophisticated people. And he'd heard st- stories and was worried about that. Well, he was out by himself. They were getting ready to go in and up to the factory and he was on his way and he decided for some reason to cut a little corner and go through an alley and cut off a little bit off of, his, off of his trip. We said he stepped in the alley, got in the middle of it, and he just got a bad feeling, an in, intuition, you know, that comes upon us. And he looked back and a guy had stepped and blocked the, pack, the, the passage that he had just come from. And then he started moving fast forward and another guy stepped up and blocked the passage to where he was coming. So there he was between these big buildings. He was trapped with a guy on each side. They, they had planned this, they'd ambushed him. And Granddad said, so what he did was he, he he looked and decided which was the smaller of the two guys, and it was the guy behind him, if memory serves. And he turned around, did a 180, and did a full sprint uh, towards the smaller guy. Well, the guy that was in ahead of him took started chasing him, came after him, and he looked back and he had a pistol in his hand, and he was holding it by the barrel, not by the handle. You remember that? He was holding it by the barrel, and then the... The handle, wood handle, was was up in his hand like a club. Great-granddad hit this, hit the guy that was smaller, knocked him down, got past him and kept on running. But the guy that was chasing him was faster than him and caught up with him. And he said he was, as he was running, he was beating him on the head with the butt of this pistol, but it didn't knock him out and didn't even cut his head or anything because he had so much cash wadded up in his <laughs> his hat. He was able to outrun him. And he said, finally, just winded him. He was in better shape because he was a sturdy, durable man from the farm country and was used to working all the time where this criminal was, you know, a, kind of an urban lacquer. He was able to out, outrun him or wind him and, and uh, get away. And, and they got their cars. So it was quite, quite a story. Quite a story. Oh, we have a super chat from Mr. Jason Barr. Welcome, Jason. Shout out to you and to your member. Says, uh, Father is the only name that we have the opportunity to share with God. What an honor! Yeah, yeah. Jason always has the good quotes, the thought-provoking quotes. Yeah, that's true, and that, that's that's true and not true. Um, the responsibility of Father of us, you know, we we we're called Father for a time as well to our children, like to Sweet Loaf. You know, she calls me Papa. Whatever you like, I I like that because it's kind of uh, Swedish. I think it's endearing, and something that we need to remember. If you are thinking about having kids or have little kids coming up, is that you have the responsibility as the father when they're little. You you are standing. You're a placeholder for God. And how it's a very important role. How they see you from the time that they're tiny through three four, you know, until they become five, until they start to becoming aware, how they see you is often going to be how they project their heavenly father, Christ. If you were angry, absent, um, non-caring, temperamental, those attributes oftentimes many will apply and it can have a real negative effect on them. They have a hard time getting over that. So that responsibility that we carry as fathers is, is tremendous. So just remember that that you are standing in the place of Christ in, in that role and um, it's a it's a lot of responsibility and you want to make sure that you I guess understand that and understand what's at stake there. once you once the child becomes old enough and can become aware of the difference between good and evil and the great controversy that's going on and what's expected of them and what type of struggles we have to go through life, then then you, you kind of abdicate that role, you know, as John the Baptist said, you know, I, there was one that comes after me that's, I'm not even worth, I, I'm not even worthy to lose his sandals, right? And then we're still father of the child, but but we're there to point them, redirect them. They look at us and we re- redirect them to to the real father, you know, because their they're kids are people too, as Mrs. W are, is so fond of saying. And, and they're also made in the image of God. And they also will sit and judge angels one day. So we can easily always look at our children as inferior to us because they're our children and they have nothing to tell us. And what are they going to, who are they to teach us? You know, I'm their dad, I'm their mom, you know, I'm above them. And that's not the case. You are for a certain amount of time. But there comes a time when they get older and at the age of consent where you need to step away and you need to respect them. For the for the 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 individual creative creatures that they are, that they are are also created in the image of God, you know C.S. Lewis talks about this. I think in his book The Weight of Glory, he talks about how bigoted he was when he first came into the church. You know, he was a man of incredible intellect, and he was raised um, with the elites, the best that Britain had to offer, in the best Ivy League school—not Ivy League. was it, did he go to Cambridge? I don't know if he went to Cambridge or Oxford, one, one of the two, but the most elite school in the world. You know, he, that's where, academia, that's where he lived and that's where he operated. So he had an inflated sense of importance. He had a, a, a tremendous arrogance. Not only did he was he in that environment with the best and the brightest, but he was also incredibly gifted intellectually. He had a very keen mind. He was an atheist. And most of his life and came to christ later in his life and then we know the story right but he talks about i think in the book i think it's in the weight of glory uh, he talks about his first experience going into into the church the english church church of england and how somewhat disappointing it was and how it was difficult to overcome pride you know th- not, maybe this was screw tape letters i think this was screw tape later, letters he touched on this and how here he is, he's coming out of this, this high and lofty position, this incredible man of intellect, and he uh, sits down in this pew, and he's, now he's surrounded by normal people. And he has this, you know, he talks about having this idea in his mind from reading the Bible that when he converts there's going to be togas and sandals and all these great, you know, he, you get this envision in your mind, you know, what it was like when Jesus was walking around. And you unrealistically have these crazy expectations. And then when you show up into the church, you start to realize Goodness, there's a lot of broken and damaged people here. You know, these are people that I wouldn't have even thought twice about being around. I certainly wouldn't have them over to my house. And and he he talks about how difficult it was to fight that arrogance. That um, he he's just says so funny. He's like, I'm sitting there, and and the a little uh, the, the local green grocer grocer comes waddling down the aisle with a rather oily look on his face, handing handing me a liturgy in very small print, and. And then the guy sitting next to him has got squeaky boots. that's annoying him as he's trying to hear the sermon, and and how difficult it was, and how he had to face his pride uh, and bigotry uh, to become a member, or become a body in the, involved in the body of Christ or in in the church. And it was very interesting and very well put how he how he put that. But it's it's very similar to our children. You have to remember they are created in the image of God, and they will stand. As equal to you, and maybe even your superior, uh, in the kingdom, you know. So, we just need to remember that kids are people too, and you've got to you've got to raise them. And sometimes you have to have a heavy hand. You know, sometimes you have to tell them no and, and correct them and such, or 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 they'll turn out bad. But once they reach that age, like where Jack's at, you know, he you have to realize that he's his own person now, you know, and he's he's important. He's he's an own his own individual, uh, and. In, in the eyes of God, and he's not my inferior uh, whatsoever. Actually, my, I mean, I, I told him the other day, I said, you know, Jack, I said, I want you to remember that as you go out into the world and you're working or doing going to school, the world is a mean and dangerous place, and that I am most likely the only man in the whole world that actually, that truly wants you to do better than me i'm the only person that they could honestly say that and uh, people may say that but it's it's not true contemporaries or friends or business acquaintances they don't typically enjoy seeing their fellow uh, achieve greater things than they do um, and certainly do, r- rarely work to to push them up and to support them we have a super chat from Austin Webb. Shout out to you, Austin. And Austin writes, how can I get some Airsoft accessories to you from the company I work for as a gift? Uh, thank you for your content and guidance. God is good. Well, you could send me an email. You can email me, Cody at rankrestar.com. And um, I'll, uh, I'll respond there. and get you a PO box. But thank you for that. Well, I always, you know, I'm a big fan of Airsoft. I was editing a clip yesterday, saw myself stuck sucking on the straw looking like a fool, and I vowed not to do that anymore. I'll take the lid off at least when the camera's running. But thank you, thank you Austin. Appreciate that. Look forward to have what you have to send as well. We have a super chat from Joker Dog 167. Good to see you back, Joker. Joker writes, "I got accepted into the aerospace engineer program and the nuclear physics program. Which one should I choose?" Goodness, Joker Dog, you know I'm out of my depth here. Aerospace engineer program or nuclear physics? Man, I can't advise you. You're at an education level and expertise that far exceeds anything that I've even imagined. Do the one you want. Do the one you want. Do the one that you could see doing in 20 years. The one that you think is going to be the most interesting, the one that's going to be the most innovative. It's You can get burnout on stuff if if nothing changes very much. So if you're in an industry that's going to be the same, like getting into rail, you know, rail is going to be basically the same in 20 years as it is now. If you're fine with that and you don't like change and you are happy having the same thing, eating the same thing over and over again, uh, then do that. But I would probably, if you like to experience new things, uh, you like to be on the cutting edge of technology, uh, to be part of innovation, then I'd probably choose the one that has the best potential for, to advance technologically, I guess would be the, the layman's answer for that. Take that for what it's worth. Sounds like you have a bright future ahead of you. So bright you might have to wear shades. Thank you. Thank you for that question. We have a member message from Mitch Hall. Welcome. Shout out to you, Mitch. Mitch says, Mitch has been with us for 29 months. Let's not overlook that. Louisiana ladies are very similar. She says, hi, neighbor from Spokane. Is that right? I don't know much about Southern man or less about Southern woman apart from the beautiful, the delightful dialect or accent. If you say so, yeah, that could be. I don't know if anything trumps a Midwestern woman, though. Midwestern woman is is very practical and and she'll always show up with a hot dish and you'll never go hungry around Midwestern woman either. I'll tell you I, I'll tell you a funny story about practicality. When I met Mrs. W, she had just got a very uh, lofty job. Uh, she has a very advanced degrees in education and um, was had quite a fancy job at one of the most prestigious offices downtown Portland, uh, in the most prestigious building in the most prestigious area. And I wasn't prepared for it. The first time I saw it, when I walked in there and the doors were open, I thought, Oh, (laughs) I had no idea. I had no idea. I think I was probably even wearing greasy clothes with an apron on from my, my, straight from my wrecking yard across the river. Uh, It was a world that I had never experienced before. Um, We were around the sort of people that um, I was, had never been around before going to sporting events in the, the, what do you call the skyboxes, fully catered, you know, private parking, private entrances, if it gives you any idea, the lofty career path that she had chosen. But her being a good Midwest woman, uh, even though she had this incredible salary, uh, she didn't seem to think it necessary to, to upgrade her car because it was perfectly fine. Now her car, when I met her, was so bad. We used to play this game. Whenever we would drive around town, the game that we would play was let's see if we can find a car that's a bigger POS than your car, and it was difficult to do. It, you had to actually had to go over to the the bad part of town uh, to actually find something that was worse than what she had. Now, it was i um, I'm guessing it was probably about a 1995 or 96 Mazda wagon with no power steering. It had been in the Midwest, so so the, it was had been red at one time, but it was oxidized completely, almost like a chalky ox, like a chalky white film on it, you know? And I'm a car guy, right? I've got a junkyard at the time. I got this really sweet um, TJ Rubicon with 35s on it, you know, all rigged up for Moab, you know, and the winch and all that stuff. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm into that sort of thing. And I'm seeing this car, and she's offering to drive sometimes, and I'm like, you gotta be kidding. I, you, I'm not gonna be caught dead in that thing, it's terrible. Her shoulders, she looked like she had baseballs on her shoulders. You know, she's athletic anyway because of the, the Armstrong steering that silly thing had. You know, in the city where you're parking and turning all the time, it was it was a terrible car. <laughs> so we were dating. I didn't think too much of it. Like, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that in the future. Well, <laughs> she was driving that to work, going up into the private parking lot, you know, in this big building. And it wasn't very long after she'd been hired that her supervisor came to her and said, "Well, uh, you're going to have to do something about that car." <laughs> essentially, told her that that was uh, not going to be suitable to have that car uh, in in the corporate parking lot. Uh, it was bringing down. Um, it was it it was um, below the acceptable standard. <laughs> so, and she was, she was surprised by that, like completely shocked that that, that that was a thing that someone would, would have the audacity to tell her that her car wasn't good enough. And, uh, I, I agreed. I said, well, I've been telling you, <laughs> been telling you. <laughs> but that's the practicality of a Midwest woman right there. She takes, <clears throat> she takes, um, she takes our old sheets, like sheets that wear out. And then um, turns them into pillowcases and different things. You, you just can't go wrong with a Midwest woman. If you've got to go through the apocalypse, you'll be glad you have a Midwest woman. I'll, I'll tell you for sure. My granddad always said, what you what you want to find in a woman is you want to, you want to find a woman that can pull a plow. <laughs> My grandmother used to just scoff at him every time he said that. He's like, are you implying, good sir, that I you picked me because I could pull a plow? And that's not pulling a plow with a tractor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because we have a super chat from 503 Nick. 503 Nick writes, "Oh, and one month member, let us not forget. He says, I thought you were crazy. 2014 studies say you could be right. I must be more open-minded. 14 days cold shower, five minutes, God bless it. Did you look into this? I thought you were crazy. 2014 study says you could be right. I know I'm right. I can smell it. I mean what else can it be? What else can it be in large groups of people the exact same sweet acrid chemically smell only around crowds uh, around other people? Now I don't know people's status um, but um, I I don't I, I don't know, man. I mean if I'm wrong, I'm wrong I, but but I don't know what else to, to to say. I wasn't I was thinking no, that's too far-fetched and then I looked around a little bit last night and found out that I'm not the only one. There are many people saying this, many pure bloods. Uh, that, that are saying this, to have this ability. Goodness. I mean, just the implications of that are just thinking about it is like, is, is that true? Man, I don't know. Look it up. I don't know. I can't prove it. Can't quantify it. But I can t- I can tell you one thing that I, I'm experiencing it. It's for real to me. We have a super, fat, super chat from Jason Barr and two-year member who writes, um, tech Technivorm coffee makers are the best. All I have used for years, and I am East Coast. Yeah, that's what I got, the tech, Technivorm Mocha Master. That is, I uh, I watched uh, a whole bunch of tests done on it, scientific tests. There's a really good test from, uh, what's the NPR kitchen? Testers kitchen, something kitchen, kitchen, what is it? Ah, oh, I can't remember. But they, they actually went in, they took all the coffee makers and they put a, um, a little thermoform things in. They actually tested the temperature because that's really where it's at. Yeah, it's a it's a fabulous coffee maker. I, I didn't even know they existed, and they're handmade. Or they're hand assembled, made in the Netherlands. And you know, the Dutch no coffee, just like we said. Now Dutch Brothers is is trash. Don't 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 confuse Dutch coffee with the Dutch Brothers chain. They make some of the worst coffee, maybe the worst coffee I ever had. I'd rather I'd rather have Dunkin' Donuts coffee than Dutch Brothers, but yeah, the Techniform, Tec- Technoform, uh the Mocha Master, is the one that I, I settle with, settle for with the with the stainless steel carafe. It's awesome, man. It was the coffee is delicious, delicious. We have a super chat from Brandon Aga and new member. Welcome, Brandon. Brandon writes a few of us. From the big fizz member group just finished our first wednesday 24-hour fast really eye-opening help me to be open to the what the lord has been telling me uh, your brothers are behind you man i'm glad to hear that so what what brand is talking about is overton and my brain trust our brain trust the the middlemen um there's been so much you know i think that there was a little bit of envy uh, that there were some folks that were hoping that they could get in and enjoy the the group, the signal group that we have with the middlemen. And you know there's just, there'd be too much noise if we let everyone in. So Overton and company have been setting up uh, o- separate groups. Uh, and this is, folks are able to go in there and join and, and collaborate. We've really been jo- enjoying getting together. You know, I don't spend a ton of time on there, but it's really fun I try to jump on there in the evenings and we get to, I get to get some feedback. You know, I ask them, you know, how, how did the live stream go? And do you have any advice? And they give me counsel and, and we strategize together. And it's something that we enjoy. We, we share pictures of our kids and we share pictures of our freedom dispensers. And there's always, you know, something going on there. We really enjoyed it. So I know Overton has been working to, he's got multiple groups and this is what we're talking about. So what you see, so I appreciate that. Man, this is great. This is great. We are building the body of Christ. Now this is not, we're not advocating violence here. I want to be clear on that. Our war is not against um, men or governments or anyone. We are instructed to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God. You know, that's someone else's fight. We, our battle is against principalities, against the adversary uh, to stand for, um, for the Western church because the Western church is, fallen down in many aspects. And it's going to be up to the layman to pick up that mantle and to move it forward. And we're not going to be operating out of big fancy buildings. And we're not going to be fly, flying private jets. We're not going to be wearing funny costumes and being TV evangelists. We're going to spread the word just like we're doing right here, one person at a time. And these signal groups are, are coming about because of that, because God is calling his soldiers for the spiritual fight and you are here because of that and responding. So when we're building, you know, this was something that has developed organically that I didn't expect. I don't think anyone expected it was going to happen. And as we move forward and we're working on, on the, the merchandise, and we're working on, on the future site and, and the apps and all those things behind the scenes, you know, these things, we're trying to figure out a way to incorporate this so that we can have a place where we can come together and have basically what the middlemen and I enjoy in the evening times corporately so that's and and the signal app is what is what we're using temporarily right now and maybe we maybe we stay on there it's really a good app we've been it's been very useful yeah thank you thank you brandon i'm glad to hear that the big fizz that's a that's one of the foundational pillar foundational pillar member that's a good name We have a super chat from Brian Joseph. Shout out to you, Brian. And Brian says, should I date a girl that I'm compatible with but not attracted to? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's hard to break out of the programming of the fairy tale. And I, I get it. You know, I've been in love. I've loved women. I know. I know what that's like. And that, especially when you're younger, that initial spark is there's, there's nothing like it. Many people spend their whole lives just trying to chase that, trying to have that again. And as important as that is, and as exciting as that is, and there is nothing more exciting. uh, It is. It's a short thing. It is the. It is an explosion. It is a tremendous explosion that starts the whole, everything moving forward and then you move into um, more of a partnership and a friendship, and then the love and admiration turns into a different love and admiration that's based more on respect and trust and history that is much deeper and has, has substance. It's hard to see that at first. My dad used to say, you know, be careful in choosing a mate. You can learn to love anyone. You've, you've, use your head. Just because you don't have the feels uh, or your, your feels aren't as strong for this one, but you'd know she's going to give you trouble or her family is garbage. Pick the one that has the better family. Pick the one that's going to be more compatible. Pick the one that's going to be going to give you less trouble. As a man, the advice that I would give you is it's you're better off. Even if you can, if, if let's say you're an eight and you've landed a nine that's good. Or maybe a 10. Maybe you went above your station so for some reason. You were funny or you just had something that, that that just it just worked. You may be able to do it and you may be able to get her to commit to you, but she, trust me, these these women, they know their value. They're, they're And if they're online, they'll be reminded of it a thousand times a day. And she will always, you will always have trouble with that woman. You might be able to keep her. But the effort you're going to have to put into it will be tremendous. The expectations from you are going to be tremendous. You will be constantly worrying and, and dealing with it. You'll have you get to enjoy it, but that will fade when you're at work if you don't know where she's at. You know, so she'll always know. Trust me, they know when they when when they've married someone below them. They know it, just like we know it. What you'll find, guys, that are really successful and that have, are are very wealthy and very smart look who they typically marry they will date eight nines and tens but they rarely marry them they usually marry someone that's a little bit lower than them that's maybe not quite as sexy not quite as attractive obviously there's a there's a power dynamic in the relationship she knows she knows that she scored she knows that she has married up but you know that you you know you could have had what you wanted but you want to have peace and you want to have someone that's going to admire you and that's going to be there uh, supporting you in, in as many, for as long as possible. you G- gonna give you the best chance of success. It's unlikely for a woman, if you've married one that's maybe one or two scales down below you, it's unlikely that she'll leave you. It's, cause she knows that it's gonna be almost impossible for her to, to find something as good as what she has and she's going to appreciate it. And that's gonna make your life a whole lot easier. Yeah, you know, you're not going to have all these things, uh, you know, the beauty and, and the status that going to come from someone, you know, the, these eights, nines, and tens, but you're going to have peace of mind, and you're going to have a much better chance of having a faithful mate. And once that initial spark and all that stuff is gone, and you settle into the long, hard work of raising a family and maintaining a, a marriage, it's, you're going to be so glad, and what you see is these rich and powerful men, when they get to that situation, this is what they do. They've probably had the eights, nines, and tens, but they're they're not often going to marry them because they're just too much trouble. They're, they're, they're too difficult to, to keep hold of. It's been said that the nines and tens are they, you know, they're they, they belong to no one, you know, they're for the community. That <laughs> no one can ever have them. Or you just have your turn with them. Um, and they're, they're most likely to be hypergonous and to monkey branch uh, up th- when something something goes up there, or something that they think is better. And this is also important if you ever see women, are ba- their value is based on, like it or not, this is the way it is, is based on their, their looks and fertility and their youth. Youth looks and fertility is what, what, is what value, is how we value women. Uh, men are valued on what they can produce, what resources they can provide. So if you have one of these high tier women and you fall down or stumble, you get sick, can no longer produce, you lose your job, you lose your business, she's gone. She's not gonna stick around for that. Very, very few are gonna stick around for that. And you're gonna be in a world of hurt. If that happens to you at 40 or 50, you'll never be able to recover from the financial hit that you'll take on that. It'll destroy you. And she'll probably take your kids as well. And if you get involved with the family court, you're screwed a woman that is beneath you in, let's not, that's probably the wrong language. That's, you know, just, we're just talking about looks, you know, just is, is going to be more likely to stick with you. So I would say put the fairy tale away just because you can have an eight, nine, or 10, doesn't mean that you should have one. And, and take the one that you know is going to be compatible, uh, that is appreciative, that understands the value that she's getting, because you are the value. You, you mean you're, you're, the, we are the value. We are the economic engines. We are the ones that produce. Um, I, I would do that. Yeah, I would take. I would take a girl next door, a basic Betty, plain Jane, uh, that that took care of herself, um, over um, a high-strung West Coast beautiful woman um, for for a mate, without a doubt. But that's me speaking as a grizzled old per, old man. You know, an old boomer. I know what it's like to be young. But just, I'm just telling you, if you want words of wisdom, and let's let, let's let, if you're over 50 right now, let's do a little test right here. If you're over 50 in the comments right now, and you heard just what I said, am I correct? If I'm correct, put sevens that you would take a little bit less attractive, one that was going to stand by you and be faithful. Now, I'm talking about not a girlfriend, I'm talking about the mother of your children, that you want to be in this for the long haul. Would you take that? Sevens, if you would take that. Now, only respond if you're over 50 and have experience. Or would you take the the eight or nine uh, and have the wor- have to worry? If you take the eight or nine, put a zero, because that's what you're going to end up with, is a zero. We'll see here. I'm imagining you're going to see sevens. There you have it. Yeah. Now these are men that have lived. These are men over 50. Um and this is that th- th- we've had experience. These are men that have, have that have went through divorces that have had their their wives leave them. Um I know some I know some in particular ones that have that that just out of the blue just 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 tore the whole family apart for no reason. Look at that. Yeah. There you have it. So if she's compatible Um, and you're not specifically drawn to her, you'll learn to love her. If she's a good woman, if you know she comes from a good family, then then you have my blessing on that. Get a prenup. Get a prenup. If she, that's another thing. Women, a lot of women don't like prenups, but this is the acid test. If she really wants to, and, and write it up so it's fair for everyone. Don't just make it one sided. Go to an attorney, make it get boilerplate. But what it basically should say is what I came into the relationship with is mine. What you come into the relationship is yours. Um, And that's that's the way it is. You know, if she hits the lottery, she decides to leave. That's hers. You know, she gets it's not just one sided. Um, And if she balks at that and won't sign it, then, you know, you have your answer. If she wants to be with you, if a woman wants to be with you, they will do anything to be with you. Now this is speaking from a former Chad. I can tell you, the worse you treat them, the more and more you can't get rid of them. I don't understand it. it's the way that it is. I had I mean, it astonished me what they would put up with. If they got it in their mind that, that that that's what they wanted. There wasn't there wasn't a distance too far. There wasn't a request too absurd. It, it made no difference. They would find a way, even when you didn't want them. They'd be hanging around and always, I mean, you just couldn't, you, they'd be showing up at places. I mean, you, it was ridiculous. If she wants you, uh, she will sign it because she's there for you and she's not there to be a gold digger. We have a super chat from Mitch Hall. Shout out to Mitch and to your member. Welcome. Thank you for your generosity. And Ryan Barnes, our newest member. Welcome, Ryan. Good to see you here. And you get to enjoy your member's badge. Overton's 940 with a silver blade. Welcome. Welcome. Mr. Ryan Barnes writes, You definitely should make that parenting style convo a shirt. Great stuff. I'm very type A, but I've learned to bite my tongue off when teaching. You should definitely make that parenting style conversation a short. Oh, okay. It's probably too long. Well, Overton, if you're listening, Ryan wants to see a short on that. If we could clip that. We'll, we'll try to clip that. I don't even remember what I was talking about. I talk too much. Thank you, Ryan. Yeah. Well, I learned this. I've learned this the hard way. I've learned this by making mistakes. And I, I can I can share that with you. And I saw, you know, I got to see, it it put me in a pretty good position to be able to see two very distinctive different parenting styles, almost having two fathers, you know, having my grandfather that was so close to me in the most important years. My grandfather taught me how to hunt and fish and weld and work on mechanics, mechanic work and all those things. Um, And he was such a good teacher. I mean, him and I, we were rebuilding C6 transmissions when I was 12 even pulling, even going through the valve bodies and, and doing all the clutches and all that. I remember the first time we opened one of those up, I thought I'll never, ever be able to learn this. There's so many pieces and he just knew it all by heart. Didn't need a manual or anything. He was an incredibly gifted mechanic. Mr. Overton Windex, shout out to you and $20 super chat. Goodness said you don't need to do that, but I appreciate it. He said, most people in in crowds are androids. Uh, That's the reason for the chemical smell. Oh, now that's interesting. Now that uh, that gives me the creeps. I'm, I'm, I'm walking down Uncanny Valley right now. Goodness, that's creepy. I've never smelled it before. I've never smelled it before. Has it always been there? I just I did I couldn't smell it because you know I've, I've I guess maybe I've, I've smoked. Yeah, I used to smoke before I, I quit right when I met met Mrs W, but that's twenty years ago. But I breathed a lot of smoke from wildland fires. I, I I wonder if it's the if it's the cold showers or if it's just the the Wim Hof breathing method where you <sighs> hyperventilating and breathing so much and so deeply, <laughs> opening up part of my lungs that I've never used before for if that's just clearing out my system system, and giving me a new superpower. Now, I've, I've always had one superpower, and that's I have cat-like reflexes. Now I have two. Now I have s- super smell. Super smell and cat-like reflexes. The androids. Man, there's some creepy stuff going on, beloved. I think we're about to see in the next 18, 24 months, we're going to start to see things that are going to be, that we've never seen before. Things that are going to be difficult to explain. Do not be deceived, beloved. We need to be here so that we can encourage one another that when uh, when the um, confusion and the illusion comes, that we are not to be carried away by that, that we maintain our steadfast, so we stick to the scriptures and the prophecies because we know we have the blueprint. We will not be deceived. We've been warned. Our, our Heavenly Father saw to it that we know what to look for in the end times, we're not, we won't be deceived. But it's going to be very convincing. You know, God tells us that in the end times, so convincing will the, the tricks of the adversary be that if God didn't stop it short, that even the very elect would be deceived by it. That's how convincing. Even those that God, his 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 beloved, his own children, would be dece- deceived. So convincing will these illusions or this, this masquerade be by the adversary, that God even stops it short. So don't take it for granted uh, that, that we'll, it'll be obvious to us. Uh, it'll be very difficult, especially if your loved ones are not on board and they're convinced and they're in your household. That's gonna put, even put more pressure on you. Thank you, Overton. That's an interesting comment. We have a member message from 24 Outdoors and 52-month member. Shout out to you. Goodness. 24 Outdoors, I'm an East Coast man. I admit I use a 24-inch bar on my Husky. Of course you do. However, I have taught my children to walk with God every day. Thank you to you. Yeah. Well, I suppose, 24 Outdoors, that if you're so inclined, that when you're in the kingdom, that... um, that you can have any size bar that you want. (laughs) But uh, there will be, you know, it's going to be interesting. I I often think about the kingdom and what would a a man want to do. If you could do anything, what would you want to do if you had eternity to perfect your skills? And my paradigm and my understanding is so small because the imagination that I have to draw upon are only from the things that I've witnessed, you know, in this world. That's why you can, when the... Our, the, the fathers were trying to describe what they saw in vision in the, in the, in the good book back in the day, and they described things like uh, milk and honey, you know, the land of milk and honey. And we think, well, I mean, I, I like, milk's fine, um, and honey, you know, honey, I enjoy a little bit of honey from time to time, but goodness, you know, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily want a steady diet of it, <laughs> certainly wouldn't want to eat milk and honey for eternity, it's the, the primitive man trying to explain the unexplainable, um, the impossible to explain. He, he's just pulling from the references that he had. What was the mo- what was of the most value in his day? Well, honey was hard to come by. You didn't go and buy it by the store. There was no sugar. There wasn't anything sweet in their diet, apart from maybe some grapes or fruit or things. So to have something that was pure sweet like that. And, and the invigorating power that honey back in the ancient times had was miraculous. You know, we read the stories from one, you know King David and such, of re- just being able to give you energy and revival and such, it was very special. And it was very difficult to come by. I mean, you had to go in and, and fight the bees for it. It was rare. So that was very, very precious in those days. So that's all they're trying to explain, you know, something that was so precious that that's, that's the reference that they had to to explain the unexplainable. I think sweetloaf, sweetloaf just got home. Um, so what is what does Christ tell us? He's like, I what I have, I want you to know, beloved, that what I have prepared for you in the kingdom, um I has not seen, nor has it even entered into the hearts of man, the incredible things that I have prepared for those who love me. So we don't even, we can't even comprehend it. We're like the, the the primitive man that's trying to, grasping at some sort of an explanation to explain the unexplainable with milk and honey, you know, the most valuable resource of his day. What, how, how would we even imagine the things that we haven't seen? I mean, I've the closest thing we can get to, and, and I don't even know if this is true or not, I tend to think maybe there might be something to it because of the consistencies that come across it, but people that experience near death. There's many, many examples of people that experience near, near death, that go and are dead. This has all been documented on the emergency room and and come back, and some of them see things, and they they come back and they tell us what they see, and and a lot of them say that they have they experienced pure bliss, um, nirvana, whatever, and something that's kind of common is in this place, whatever that is, whether it be a a different, a parallel universe or the kingdom or a vision of the kingdom, who knows? But a lot of them say that they feel rather than like being stuck in a green field, that they're part of it, that they can feel everything. They can feel and they're aware of every blade of grass, every grain of sand, all of the, everything is all a symbiotic relationship that they're connected. They're connected with everything. And it's an overwhelming euphoric state beyond the greatest meth effect or heroin or cocaine uh, euphoria that anyone's ever experienced. And that's, and that's what it's like all the time. You know, so how can you, how can you even imagine these things? It's it's incredible. It's incredible. But I wonder what, what we will do, you know, because that eternity is a long time and I get bored with things and the only thing we had to look at is, is to see what, what, what was God's plan in his perfect environment. Well, we can go back and look at man and woman before the fall, before they fell and, and gained the knowledge of good and evil. What was their job? What were they doing? Well, God put them in the garden, and their job was they, they named the animals, and they tended the garden, tended the vine. So they were they worked in the garden. They worked with their hands. They had a purpose. And I would imagine it would be quite sad. I have never had the joy of gardening myself. It's not my particular thing. But I would imagine it was quite a thing to be able to have these incredible fruits. There were no vegetables. We know vegetables came after sin. I'm so fond of reminding Mrs. W. So if you ever want to, your wife wants to serve you the bitter vegetables that most of, many of us don't like, um, I'm always fond of reminding her that these were introduced after sin and they will not be in the kingdom. Only fruits. But to be able to cross breed and animals and yeah I, I, there's they worked they worked they had a purpose they had a job to do things so what does that mean for us i would imagine we'd have a purpose of some sort we also know from the book of revelation that we have uh homes we have dwellings that we live in so do we build these dwellings what do we build them with they won't be from trees i used to think what well, I've always enjoyed timber framing. How nice would it be to be able to spend a thousand years perfecting that and, and build this am, am, amazing edifice? Um, spend a thousand years building this building, this timber frame, beautiful mansion that uh, would be worthy to invite my Lord over for a supper, a personal supper. You know, but then I realized that there won't be any death in heaven, so that would ca- cause killing trees. So I'd have to be a stonemason. So I don't, I don't know. But then Jesus tells us that the, if if it wasn't when he was coming into Jerusalem, he said when the when they were trying to tell the people to stop shouting and cheering for him, he said, well, you know, I'll tell you the truth. If, if the children of Israel weren't crying out, these very rocks would cry out to celebrate me. So who knows? Maybe the rocks are even alive. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. I has not seen, nor has it entered into the hearts of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Who can say, man? Who can say? But I know this, 24 Outdoors, that you will not be stuck with a 24-inch bar. Uh, you'll have something that's even greater. I still know what it is. Mr. Kyle B, member for one year. Shout out to you Kyle. Kyle says I spent a few weeks acquiring a very particular set of skills. Happy to be back viewing the stream. Keep spreading the word. Well, I'm not going to ask but they sound very interesting. I hope those particular skills can be used in the struggle. We have a super chat from Wade. Shout out to you Wade. Wade says checking in again from Charleston, South Carolina. Southern man, not East Coast man. That's true. I'd looked at the map after that discussion, and I have come to the, to, to the acknowledge, I will acknowledge that South Carolina man is not East Coast man. He is Southern man. Shout out to Southern man. Southern man, not East Coast man. I just bought my first AR. What accessories, parts would you buy first? A flashlight. I would buy a flashlight before an optic overton will you confirm this overton is our resident small arms specialist he usually corrects me or corroborates what i've what i've said um overton would you start with a flashlight over an optic i would if you're talking home defense because what time do baddies usually come they don't often come during the day they come at night so I would start with a flashlight. So I'm, I'm assuming that you received you bought probably a 16-inch barrel. It doesn't matter. makes any difference. If you're a right-handed shooter, I have found, you know, everyone has different opinions on this. Um, but the two best ways to place a light um, has been for me is on the, the left side. You, your left hand immediately slides up to it. It does act as a bit of a stop. I have super long, super long arms. So I have to pull back, but most regular arm length people, as you push that out, you, your thumb's gonna come right there on that tail switch. You may like to go with a a tape switch or like a unity switch with the wires. You know, I'm not gonna tell you what to do, but you just can't go wrong with a push button cap. I, would, uh, I wouldn't I would skimp on it. I wouldn't, I would go with a Surefire. Just, just buy a shoe, Surefire, do it right. Get a Surefire Scout light, With a tail cap and if in the future you want to change and you want to put a tape switch on it or a unity switch you you just replace the tail cap um and they're excellent lights and the new i would buy i would buy the the new the new surefire with the it's got a mount that um it's got a mount that rotates it used to be before you'd have to buy a light then you'd have to go buy an aftermarket mount like an Arasaka or something to that effect or haley but now you don't need to buy it. It comes with an integrated mount, and they're really, really good. And they rotate down, so you can get it really tight to your to your um, handguard. So, whether you want to get a a single or a double, a double battery is going to last twice as long. I'd probably look if you were going to just buy one and wanted a really good one, just buy the dual fuel Surefire. That way you can run the big rechargeable battery, or you can run eighteen six-fifties in there. Ho likes options, and that gives you a lot of good options. You can do the rechargeable, but be careful. Know, know thyself uh, when it comes to rechargeable. Are you diligent? Do you keep up on that stuff, or do you put stuff in the cabinet and forget about it? Because when you need it, that rechargeable battery will be flat. So I'm not a fan of those for that reason. If you're that guy, then you can do it. Or you're going to go to a, a course, you know, so you can save a few bucks with that. But batteries are not that expensive. So I'd start with that, 100%. would be a flashlight. Now that's providing you have sights on it, obviously, right? I'm assuming you have irons on it, right? If I had irons, irons would be the first thing. After irons would be the flashlight. After the flashlight would be an opt. Uh, would be a sling. Sling, probably a sling. Get a like a just go get a magpul MS1. That's a great sling. I've got three or four of them. They're not the most expensive. They're affordable. They're great slings. Get a sling, flashlight, irons, and then get an optic. I'm assuming you have a couple extra magazines as well. Should have six magazines. Six magazines, that's that's minimum. As far as an optic, well, that depends on your budget. Um, if you have the means, if you have $1,000 to spend, then you should get an Eotech or... A um, an Eotech or a Aimpoint. If you're on a budget, uh, you don't want to spend a thousand bucks and you've got five hundred, probably look at something like maybe a SIG, one of the SIG optics or a Hollow Sun. They make good good ones. They even get a little bit lower than that. Uh, but don't don't buy any garbage. You know, stick with a name brand. Um, Trigicon. Sure, or Trigicon, uh, Leopold, um, Aim Points, Hollow Sun, SIG Optics. I, I'm, I'm missing some, but st- stick with it. The rule of thumb with optics is that you should probably expect to pay, if you're talking about a carbine, you should probably expect to pay the same amount you did for the carbine for the optic and the mount, right? you bought a Daniel Defense, you just spent $2,000, well, you know, you're not too far from it. You're, you're going to have an Aimpoint T2 with a Scalarworks mount, something that affects something really nice, or a Unity mount and a set of irons. You know, you're, I mean, you're not, maybe 1,500, you're, you're getting up there. When it comes to precision rifle, 308, 6.5 Creedmoor, you know, something that you're planning on shooting out beyond 600 meters, you can double the cost of your optic. So you've got 1000 bucks into your rifle. You're looking at 2000 for your optic. It becomes more important. Just These are just rules of thumb. But start with the flashlight. That's, the flashlight is really important. <coughs> Excuse me. We have a super chat from Jay Harris and one month member. Shout out to you, Jay. Jay says, Indiana Duck Hunter here, wondering... What happened with the beaver pond wetland project at the old homestead? Did you get the desired outcome? Longtime viewer, love the videos, old and new. Y- yes and no. So what he's talking about is we had a, a dry creek, a, a runoff uh, that, that would run water through the wintertime, but it would go dry in the summertime. And the local conservation district started came to some of the farm the, or the landowners up there and said, you know, we're thinking about reintroducing beavers up here. Because the problem is, is that what happened when the early settlers came in, a lot of those areas were were wetlands. They were, uh, because the beavers had been in there in the creeks and they had dammed them up and the water went out and there were big marshlands all over the place. And that was perfect for environment and it was perfect for holding water. It's God's plan. It's like a time release. As the runoff comes from the mountain. The water hits the beaver ponds, it spread out, spreads out, it soaks deep into the land and it stays there and it, it releases slowly down into the tributaries. Well, what did the farm owners do, and the ranchers do when they moved up here? The first thing that they did is they drained all of the wetlands and started digging ditches so that they could run the water and direct it to where they wanted, into ponds typically. Well, what happened was now all of that water no longer is held in the land. So when the when the snow melts and the runoff comes, instead of going out, spreading out through these marshes uh, and holding and releasing slowly into the rivers, now it just rushes super fast, rushes down into the tributaries, causes flooding, causes massive erosion, and now the land is just dry and turns into a desert. And all the wildlife and all of the critters and everything leave because their environment's been destroyed. So this was something that we did to try to reestablish this wetland with this deal. So what we did was um, and we the solution would have been simple. I could have put put in some hard work, some hard, hard dams. Take an excavator down there and put boulders in there and dam- several dams and backed up the water and had it fixed in one season, no problem. But we couldn't do that. You know, we had to follow all these ecological rules. So we had to weave these elaborate fences that were basically like would sift through the water. And, and hold it. I couldn't dig anything or do any excavating, you know, something that would actually work. And the idea was these things would fill up with leaves and stuff and then back up and then naturally turn into, basically we were building and trying to build natural beaver dams. Well, we built them um, and they were starting to be effective. They were uh, starting to fill up, silt up naturally, like the plan. Uh, but before we ever got to the point where we would have held enough water where they could introduce beavers, uh, we we sold it and we we came here. So that's the story with that. We have a super chat. Good question though. Thank you, Jay. We have a super chat from Rick Gates, a member for two years. Thanks for sharing. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for thank you for supporting us. We have our friend Yazin Bukaba. I should put some effort into that pronunciation. Bukiba, Bukiba, Yazin, Yazin. That's a cool name. That's a nice name. Yazin and new member, welcome, welcome. Yazin says, "What do you think about investing in gold, silver, and other precious metals as the dollar decreases in value due to inflation?" God bless you from the Netherlands. Yeah, I'm looking into it. Actually, uh, we have a. We I told you I mentioned this maybe a few weeks ago. We had a meeting. Uh, with a company that is that, that is doing that, it's a it's a Christian-based company um, that is offering precious metals, where they basically just a house where you purchase from them and they can deliver whatever you want. You know, gold, silver coins and such, certified, guaranteed. You so you know what you're getting. There's a lot of fraud out there, so you want to be careful with it. So I I looked into this. So we Mrs. W and I had a phone call with them, and they wanted to partner with the channel. They wanted in exchange for. Um, Uh, they wanted in exchange for us promoting their business that they would pay us i think it was a two percent percentage on anything if you guys bought it um and that was the deal that they they offered so like you know i don't know much about this and so we have been doing our due diligence on the company because this is interesting to me because it's something that i've wanted to do personally because you're just watching watch uh, watching our savings just erode uh the and as they're printing money it's it's depressing so i thought it wouldn't be a bad idea to have a, a little bit you know have have a little bit of gold and silver on hand just in case there was a problem or a run on the bank or who knows what so we actually we did our due diligence we looked into the company did quite a bit of research on it to see if it was someone that we would want to partner with and we have another call with them um this week so i don't there's no guarantees i don't know if we're going to do it but um, we're thinking about it i'd say it's a good 50-50 it could go either way but I'll let you know. I'm going to pur- I'll be purchasing my own just like you guys would if we do do it. So what I get um, and why, you know, I'm not a I'm not a very sophisticated person about this sort of thing. I don't really understand it. I've just been looking into it and reading as much as I can on it, but I think it would be a good idea. It would be a good idea to have a few thousand dollars set aside in some gold and silver that you could have. I think it's important to have it. I wouldn't be comfortable having stocks in silver or having it stored someplace, some other country or somewhere. I wouldn't be about that. I, I would want to physically take hold of it. So we'll look into that. We are looking into it. Actually, we're we're actually in the process of that right now. But thank you, Yazeen. I think that's a very good question. Very good question. Mr. Overton Windex. Shout out to you, Overton. And one, mo- one month member. Let's not forget that. He says, you know, dying is a lot like cold shower. All your worldly worries go away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every morning, it's, it doesn't get easy, man. I've, actually, the last couple of days getting in the cold shower has been a little bit rough. One thing I've done different is I started, uh, I started with a warm shower the last two days. And I haven't done that in the past because I thought, you know, I don't. When I'm in the cold shower, I've got some—I got so many troubles going on. The last thing I'm going to worry about is washing, you know, soap and shampoo and all that stuff. So I thought, well, I'll take my warm shower first, get soaped up, get cleaned up, and then I'll flip it over to the cold. And that seems to be much worse when you get in there. Because, you know, take five-minute hot shower and you get all warm and you just got out of bed. And then to flip that cold on is a bit of a jolt. So I have not been enjoying that, to be honest with you. But it does, man. He's right it's a lot like dying. Uh, anything that you're worried about or any little minor headache you have or hunger or depression or concern or anxiety for the day, you will at least get to enjoy three minutes of, that will be the last thing on your mind as you're in there trying to survive. Um, you, you, you're you, focus. You'll be very focused, I assure you. <laughs> that is so true. So true. All right, beloved. Well, I guess we're about at the end of our our two hours. I do appreciate you guys hanging out with me. I've, I've really enjoyed the live streams this week. They have, um, it seems like we have um, kind of gotten into our zone here. It seems uh, a lot of the fear and anxiety that I had the first three weeks, you know, what am I going to talk about? What, what are we going to talk about or say here? That seems to go away. It just seems to be very natural. Way to hang out, spend time together to talk and chat and discuss ideas and different things, and I, I've, I'm, I'm enjoying it, very much enjoy it. I think we're, we're settled in for the long haul here now. Tomorrow, we will be on the road, for sure. I got a pack tonight. Uh, Jack has got uh, his debate, and he's got a big a big competition, and the results of this debate will determine if he goes to the state championships or not. Uh, which he went to last year, which is his first year. He's really gifted with this, even though it's his second year. He's um, he's really really good at it. I don't know how he does it. I couldn't do it. But the things that they're arguing, these kids at twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, or eight. I don't know if they're twelve. Maybe I don't know. They're some pretty young ones. I mean, they're 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 talking geopolitics and they're arguing it, making articulate kids. Uh, it's impressive. It's impressive. Like, I, I watched them. I watched my own son, and I just think, when did he learn how to do this? I mean, it's, it's incredible. So we are, this is a big one. So if he does well, then he'll what they'll do what they call break, and then he'll go to state, the state championship. And if he does well there, um, and he almost made it last year, in my opinion, uh, his first, this is his second year, then he'll go to nationals. Um, and that will be on the East Coast, I believe. So I might be rubbing shoulders with the East Coast guys if I like it or not. So keep Jack and Mrs. W. in your prayers. We, we hope he does well. But more important than that, I hope we hope that he's fair and kind and, and that, he's, that, he, that he does well. Yeah. Oh, we have a super chat from our friend Tony Bologna. Shout out to you, Tony. Thank you. Always good to see you back. And one month member. Let's not forget that. Bless you, Cody. Thank you for bringing us together. Yeah, same to you. Yeah, and, and shout out to the middlemen. Don't I, I want you guys to not overlook the effort that goes into moderating behind the scenes. Um, these gentlemen, my brain trust, are doing a lot of a lot of work, uh, at, and their and their families are sacked. I'm going to publicly thank you guys, and I hope everyone here understands how much effort's going in um, behind the scenes as well. We wouldn't be able to do this without them. And what we're putting together, what we're building is going to be fun and cool. And, and you guys will be able to be on the in here on the very ground floor. And it's going to be cool. And we're going to need it. We're going to need to support one another in these, these times. We're going to need to share knowledge. We're going to need to share uh, education. We're ne- going to need to encourage one another. And just, I think the most important thing for me and for a lot of you as well is just to know that you're not alone in this that you can feel like you're alone, especially if your family members are not on board. And it's, it's, it's the worst thing ever. And I want you to know that you're not. You have fellow like-minded men here, and we are on the right page. We're on the right side of this, this fight. We're, we're the good guys. And we have, uh, we have the promises of God that he'll provide for us the things that we need before we even ask, and that ultimately he's in charge. He's just looking for us. He's testing us right now. Will you be faithful? Will you be faithful in these little things so that he can make you in charge of great things in the future? These little things are are the most important decisions of your life. Not compromising on the things that you know to be right is a test right now. He's testing to see. Just like, I know you guys get tired of hearing it, just like Gideon, when Gideon needed to find out who the real warriors were be, would be on, before he went on his secret nighttime raid, his secret mission, he needed to know who would not break and run. And God showed him by a very interesting set of circumstances, by, by how they acted down at the river, that very test that those men were going through. They didn't even know it. They weren't aware of it. They were just told to go down and drink at the river, and they were oblivious to what the circumstance, what the what the consequences of that would be. And God was able to find out, he probably knew all along, God knows the hearts and minds of men, but Gideon was able to be reassured that he had stout-hearted men that wouldn't break and run and wouldn't fail the moment difficulty came and persecution came. You and me are being tested right now. We were tested with how we reacted during the lockdowns. We're gonna be tested in the future every day. Will we compromise what we know to be right um, for our own comfort or our financial well-being or to maintain relationships of non-believers or people who don't see it. All of us are going to have to make a decision which side we'll fall on. And how you decide is going to determine your history. It's going to determine your your, your future. And if you can't be useful in the small things, if I can't be useful and faithful in the little things, when we're really not suffering persecution, then how could God expect us to stand when things get really difficult? So this is a training ground. This is a basic training. I'm not advocating violence here. It's not about violence. This is a spiritual training for who will be strong, who will not compromise, and who will be a soldier for for God, who will stand in the gap, Who who will maintain the shield wall and not break and run. When you're standing in a shield wall and you're against the enemy, you rely upon your, your your friend to the right and to the left of you. Your life is dependent upon it. You have a job. You're covering this area. He's covering your flank. He's covering your left side. You have to have absolute trust in him. If he is unstable and unfails, then the enemy will get in and attack you from behind. And where you aren't, where you have no fence defense, you won't even see it coming that's why it's important to ally ourselves with men that we can trust that will not fail when persecution comes and god is training us right now so be vigilant and understand the importance of the decisions that we make don't compromise don't compromise what you know to be right don't don't compromise what you know to be don't act and abuse people in a way that is a violation of of god's principles and and human nature because you're worried about losing your job i I think it's, without a doubt, I think most of us can come to the realization, this is what, beyond conspiracy theory, that there's some strange things being spread around in the, up in the sky, right? We've all seen it. And there are, obviously, people that are flying these planes and involved in doing this, knowing what they, what they're doing, affecting their very own family and their very own countrymen. If you think that there aren't people like that, that, you know, there are, they're willing to do it. How they could do it, how they can sleep at night. Uh, is beyond me. I have no idea. Um, i am just not made that way. I don't think you guys are made that way. How, how could you possibly how could you possibly go to work and, and do something like that? And the same way there's a lot of law enforcement a lot of cops uh, that do the same thing, praying parasites, preying upon the people, knowing what they're doing is wrong, or maybe they're not actively doing it, but they're turning a blind eye to people that are. Um, And they're maintaining that line, that thin blue line that we all detest so much. All right. That's it. Thank you, beloved. May God bless you and your families. Please pray for us. That's the best thing you can do for us. And we will see you on tomorrow's live stream.